Awesome, guys. Well, hey, what I want to do today is same thing I do every day, or at least every Sunday. Uh, I want to jump into our time in the Word. And <coughs> that was a mistake, actually. Hold on, I need to bring this back. Because uh, I need to stick to some notes today, because we're covering a lot of different things. I want to make sure that the notes are close by. We're continuing our series entitled 10, where we're focusing on the Ten Commandments, these, these Ten Commandments that feel so incredibly in front of our face so often, yet they don't feel very close to our heart. They feel very politicized. We see them a lot. They're the source of a lot of arguments on the political front, maybe on the moral front, but yet we oftentimes miss the big theological message, the message about God and the message about God's vision for us as his people uh, that they communicate. And so we're working through those one by one over the next several weeks in order uh, to really try and recapture that vision of the gospel and to recapture that vision uh, of, of God's vision for us and the vision he's providing of himself. Today, we're actually going through one that I think is, is, is one of the most tr tricky, one of the trickiest of the lot. Uh, I would go so far as to say that as we've gone over the past three weeks, y'all might agree that they're all pretty tricky. They've all become so incredibly ingrained in our culture in a way that we just assume the meaning. And then when we start to investigate what the meaning really is, it starts to become like, oh, I didn't think about that at all. I didn't even know that was the case. Last week, when we talked about using the Lord's name uh, in vain or misusing the Lord's name, it's a good example. A lot of people think it's about cussing or saying Jesus when you get scared, and then we're filled with this guilt. When in reality, we said that using or, or misusing uh, or the, the request to not misuse the name of the Lord is about protecting our hearts, it's about protecting others, it's about honoring God. Very different than how we traditionally think of things. And I think this one today, which is actually the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath is another one that's really, really tricky. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, I think that right now in our culture, rest or the idea of Sabbath, let's use the word rest because we're going to see that's really what it means. The idea of rest is such a foreign concept for us. Okay, for many in this room, uh, and let you, I want you to level with me, and I'm going to level with you for the next few seconds. The reality is, for many of us, the busier we are, the more important we feel, the more important we think we are. And so when you walk around and you feel like you can say, I'm so busy, I'm, I'm busy from like 7 a.m., 6.30 a.m., 6 a.m. to like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. at night, what we're saying is, I'm so important in the context of the world that my time is occupied from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., and I have no room for anything else. That's how important I am. That also means that the less busy you are in a room like this and in a culture like this, the less busy you are, the less you can say, hey, I'm busy from this time to this time, and you're, you're, you kind of respond with, I, I can get together with you anytime, bro. To be honest, I'm not busy at all. You feel like you're communicating the idea of I'm not that important. I'm not as important in the world we live in. But then on the other side, for some of us, feeling busy also can feel like security, as though every single choice that we make, every single action that we take actually will, will, will forge a future that is safe and secure. And so when we're busy, we feel like we're doing the right thing and we feel like we're safe. But when we're not busy, we feel like we're doing the wrong thing. And it feels like insecurity is right on the horizon. And the future that we long for may not be the future that we get because we're not quite busy enough. We're not quite doing enough. And for some of us, feeling busy can feel like a calling. We aren't living up to the opportunities we've been given if we don't make the most of them. And so we're constantly trying to do more, constantly trying to get ahead. I know a lot of immigrants, children or products of immigrants feel this way. 
I can feel very guilty when I think about the narrative of like my grandfather picking fruit and stuff like that. And then I think about what I'm doing with my life now, and it kind of makes me be like, I'm going to get up and do something. Like, it just, you know, it just makes me feel like I, I owe it to them in, in their sacrifice in order to try and get ahead. And so sometimes we feel like a calling. And here's the thing. No matter what, the reality is, is we've taken something that for thousands and thousands of years in busyness that has for thousands of years been an issue and a problem and something that we should avoid and made it into some type of virtue or some type of something to have pride in. And it has something that's so unique to what you live in and what I live in in the culture that we live in. And so what do we do in response? What we do in response is we try to rest. Okay, we try to rest. We go on vacations in, in beaches or in mountains or uh, what else, in some city that we like. And we go on that vacation, and if you're anything like me, if you got small children, or even if you don't, you get back from vacation, you're like, man, I need a vacation, because that vacation was not that restful. Uh, or maybe we sit around in our time of rest and we do nothing, right? It's like, hey, I got a plan to do nothing. No one's going to get in the way of that nothing. It's going to be nothing all the time. And then the thing is, you start to feel so incredibly guilty after you've been doing nothing that you feel the incredible urge to do something in response to doing nothing. And then you do something, and then you feel like you're going to do nothing again. And so all of a sudden, you're just caught up in this weird cycle. And being honest with you, right, because I love you, does that sound like rest? Do either of those sound like rest? No. Neither of them really sound like rest. And in fact, I think they fall very short of the biblical vision of rest. Because when we begin to understand rest from the context of the Bible and what God has for us in the idea of rest, I think two things become clear, two simple ideas. The first is that rest is more powerful than we imagined. We don't value rest enough, especially in our world. Rest is powerful. It's been powerful for the history of the world, and it's powerful today. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that it's more important than we thought, right? When we start to understand how powerful it is, we start to understand that it's more important than we thought, okay? So with that, though, what we're going to do now is um, we're going to work through a couple of ideas from this simple definition and from the text that we have today, okay? So let's go ahead and get started. Let's jump in, and let's start working through this. We're going to read Exodus 28 through 11, so lots of verses given to this. Uh, here in the scriptures. And this is, again, the fourth commandment. If you would read it with me, it's going to be on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Okay, awesome. Let's start from here. Let's start from here. From what we know, the command not to work, right? This idea of saying, hey, there's a day you're not going to do anything, was a command that was unique to the Israelite people. There was not a single culture in the ancient world that actually had this command. Okay, and even the word Sabbath, right, this word, everybody say it, Sabbath. Good. This, this word itself was actually pretty unique to their culture. There's not another word in the ancient world that compares to it. In spelling, there's a word, uh, I believe it was in either the Assyrian or maybe the Babylonian, like, like word set or, or vocabulary that looks similar, but it wasn't used in the same way. And so literally this word Sabbath is a word that's exclusive to the Israelite people, and it's an idea in taking a day of rest away from work that was unique to them and them alone. 
Now, if you're wondering what in the heck does Sabbath even mean, because you're starting with this word that I really, got to be honest with you, I have no idea what it means. Well, this is what we're going to start with. Really simple. Sabbath is a time of rest that is holy to the Lord. A time of rest that is holy to the Lord. A time of rest that's holy to God. And so here's the thing. Right now, you may actually hear that, that, that definition, and you may be going, okay, well, that's not very helpful. Because, like, how do I do that? Or like, when do I do that? How long should I rest? What does rest look like? You just got through saying that doing nothing isn't rest, but then you also got through saying that going on a vacation may not necessarily be rest. And so this is not the most helpful definition. And here's the thing. The fact that we respond like that is understandable. Let me tell you, if you respond like that, if you thought anything like that, then man, that's very understandable. Let me also level with you. If you thought like that, it shows that you have no idea what Sabbath and rest actually mean. Because that's, that's really, we're getting off on the wrong foot the moment we respond with those questions. In reality, the idea of rest in the Bible, the idea of Sabbath is much less about what you do, and it's more principles of how or, or, or the way in which you do it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in order to answer that or to kind of reveal that a little bit more, I think we need to go through some of these ideas. Okay, I think we can pull out a few ideas from this definition and from this text that really start to help us understand what that might mean, what this idea of Sabbath might mean. The first thing that we need to know about Sabbath is that Sabbath is uh, rest, I should say. Rest is about God. Rest is about God. And maybe like, what? But rest is about God. Let's see. Let's look at it from the very verse, right? Going to verse 11, I want to say. And from verse 11, remember in 8 it says, do not, remember the Sabbath, do not work, right? But then in verse 11, when we transition, it says, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Now, this idea for is really saying because. And so when we look at why we rest, why we step away, why we stop working, the instantaneous thought is it must be about me. But in reality, it's about him. The reason why we rest, why? Because you need a break? Maybe. Why? Because you're getting tired? Maybe. Why? Because the crops need tending? Maybe. Why? Because the grass ain't cut? Boy, that was me today. Uh, maybe. But, but the author tells us, no, the reason you rest is because the Lord rested. That's why you rest, because he rested. Now, that begs the question, why did he rest? So in the beginning of the book, if he made everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, why did he rest? To answer that question is, in essence, to start getting to the bottom of what rest actually looks like. So let's, let's get some answers, right? Why do you think God rested after six days of building? And uh, on the seventh day, he was like, all right, I'm going to kick my feet up now. Right? What, why? Why do you think? Throw it out there. Some of us are going to be wrong, and that's okay. You can be wrong. Anybody? Say it again. To model it. Okay, that's great. To model it. Anybody else? So what? He was tired. Okay, okay. To take satisfaction, that's great. Because he enjoy, to enjoy his work. Okay, um, very good. Now here's the thing. What's helpful about even this little exercise is that we got four different answers. Some of them are a little bit related, but four generally different answers. And if I just said that in order to understand what rest is like, we have to be able to understand the answer to this question, it means that there's four different definitions of rest because there's four different responses to that question. That's why this is important. To understand why did God rest after six days is in essence to say, what does rest mean? And here's the thing. 
Just let's work through these real quick. In terms of tired, uh, I've heard that before. That unfortunately does conflict with our, our general vision of God, that he is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and so after six days, he ain't going to be like, all right, y'all, that was a lot of work, I got to say. I'm going to call it quits today. No, no, no. So he wasn't tired, okay? Um, modeling it, I think we get a little bit, we're getting closer there. Uh, satisfaction in work and to enjoy his work, I think, are getting closer. But here's what I would say is that the vision we have of God is that he creates, and when he creates, he creates out of love. He doesn't create because he's in need. He doesn't create because he's lonely. He doesn't create and get tired. He doesn't create because he's bored. He creates because out of the overwhelming relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, there's an overwhelming care and sacrifice and love between them that it overflows out from their relationship and pours into an uncreated world in order to share the deep love they have for one another. And that's what happens in the beginning, right? I'm not telling you what to believe in terms of a a Big Bang or a literal Genesis interpretation or, or whatever the case is. That's not really the point. The point that the Bible's trying to make is that in the beginning, there was God and he was alone. And he himself was so overwhelmingly filled with love that in the beginning, there was an overpouring and an outpouring of his love and he created And after that six-day period, he stopped to look and say, everything is good. And so now I'm going to do the very thing I set out to do from the beginning, which is I'm going to stop, pause, and I'm going to be and love my creation. That's the point. That after six days of working, God paused, he looked, and he wanted to be with you. That's the point. He wasn't resting, he wasn't enjoying or going like a painting or a painter that goes, hey, that's pretty good. I'm gonna step back and really look at this. The idea between the seventh day rest is for God to say, out of the outpouring of my love I've created, and after I'm finished creating on the seventh day, I'm stopping in order to look back at my creation and to do what I always wanted to do, which is be with it. Be with her, be with him. That's the idea, that God loves his people as a result, he wants to spend time with his people. And so when God calls us to rest, he isn't, he likewise isn't calling us to take a load off from work. Well, that may be necessary, right? But he's calling us to step back from work, to set aside everything else, and to enjoy him, to be with him, to enjoy him back the way he has stopped to enjoy us. Right? And here's the thing, I think this contradicts a lot of what we believe about rest. Because so often, what we believe rest is supposed to be is a break from everything. Rest for a lot of us in here is me time, right? And only me time, right? I've been wrestling with, with work, I don't want school, I don't want work, I don't want responsibilities. Sometimes I don't even want friends or family or relationships to get in the way of it. I just want to be away from everything take a break from everything, and sometimes that even goes so far to include God himself. I don't want you to be a part of it either. This is just me time. But can I tell you something? If the vision of rest that God and the scriptures are giving us is about God, then here's the thing. Rest isn't helpful when we're resting from God instead of resting in God. 
If the idea of rest is about finding time to be with him, to connect with him, to be rejuvenated by him, to enjoy him, to love him, then it's no wonder when we do nothing we seem to not be satisfied. And it's no wonder when we go off to try and find our rest in a vacation in a beach that we get back and go, I need more rest. Because rest isn't helpful when we're resting from God, but only when we're resting in God. It's a shame that for so many of us resting from God I want you to really hear what I have to say, that resting from God is the closest we think we're ever going to get to heaven. I think that's extraordinarily sad and extraordinarily true. And so for many of us, the idea of resting, even resting from God, is the closest we think we're ever going to get to heaven. What do I mean? Uh, what I mean is this, that everything in the world right now tells you that it can provide you a sort of heaven. Everything. Maybe it's your job, and it says financial security can be your heaven. Maybe it's school, and it's getting the degree can be your heaven. Maybe it's a relationship. The relationship, the girl, the boy can be your heaven. The financial security, the house, the car, the, the whatever, the, the intimacy, the whatever, you name it. It all looks at you and says, I can provide a type of heaven for you. When only one actually provides that idea. Only one actually provides that glimpse of heaven. But at the same time, when we rest from God and say, I don't even want you involved in my rest. I just want it to be about me. What we're in essence saying is I want to put everything else away that says they can provide me heaven, and I want to go try and find and create my own heaven. Maybe my own heaven looks like a lot of TV. Maybe my own heaven looks like a book. Maybe my own heaven looks like X, Y, and Z. But it is in essence saying the closest I can get to heaven is this sort of time that I craft for myself to be away from everything where I can be in my own little personal heaven. And for a lot of us in our hearts, right, that's about as close as we're going to get in our own mind to heaven. I think that's really sad. I struggle a lot with this idea, if I'm being honest with you. Um, my wife always says about me that I'm a very work hard, play hard kind of guy. Uh, and it's true. I work hard and then I play uh, really hard. Uh, my wife can tell you that if I get six hours of sleep and two cups of coffee before 8 a.m., the next six hours are maybe boundless in terms of what I can get done. And I'm not saying that in terms of like being prideful, but that's just the reality. Like I, I can get a lot done in a four to five hour period. I would dare say more than most. I, I can get a lot done. But the thing is, come around two o'clock, I start being like, all right, I'm kind of done now, if I'm being honest. Like, I got to be real. I'm not feeling it anymore. And then by 3.30, I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and unplug from this. I'm going to unplug from this. And then I unplug from everything. And then all of a sudden, I'm downstairs. I'm hanging out with my kids. Maybe most guilty is that I start unplugging, and then I start turning on a phone. I start going to YouTube or Reddit or social media or something else or TV, or whatever the case is. And I go, okay, I'm going to unplug, and this is going to be my little rejuvenation from the, like, hours of just rampaging work that I've gotten done. And I'll be honest, there are times when even my kids try to come around like, hey, dad, and I'm like, no, it's, I'm, I'm resting right now. I'm doing this right now. And I try to shoo them away a little bit. And I'll be honest, when I was preparing, that felt, I felt so incredibly guilty. I felt a lot of shame, if I'm being honest, about how I pursue rest myself and about how I feel I can get a lot done and then proceed to try and do absolutely nothing and leave my soul weary and empty and longing and needy and then go right back into it the next day with relatively little going to God to say, man, fill me. Please, I'm here to be with you. 
Rest is about God. Um, but here's the thing. While rest is about God, rest is for us. So the first thing we think about when it comes to rest from the Bible is that rest is about God. But rest is for us. Okay, rest is for us. Um, verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You must not do any work. Okay, this idea of not doing any work, again, would have been pretty extraordinary for the people that were reading this. When you spend the majority of your day working in the fields that are going to feed you, and that is, in essence, what your whole job and life is about, the idea of not working is the idea of putting yourself in a vulnerable or difficult situation because when you stop working, you feel vulnerable and threatened. Maybe somebody's going to come get your, your crops. Maybe somebody is going to run through there, and there's going to be... There's like war around the corner, like 28, like not 28, 98% of the time, right? Like there's this feeling that the moment you step away from work, you become vulnerable, especially for these individuals. And yet God's request is don't work, right? Don't work. Stop what you're doing and be with God, right? Why is that so important, right? Why is that so important for them? Why is that so important for us? Um, and there's more of the tier that I could probably put in today's sermon, if I'm being honest. Today's sermon cannot cover, there's books written on this type of idea. But, but we're going to try to narrow down something that I think is really helpful. And that is that rest helps us remember. Right? Rest helps us remember. In the midst of all the life and all the things that say, I can give you heaven. In, in the midst of all the things that say, hey, I can provide something for you. Uh, in the midst of all the discouragement, in the midst of highs and lows, when we stop and rest, and that rest looks like going and spending time with God or bringing him into that which we enjoy, into that which we love, then all of a sudden rest becomes so much about remembering. And what are some of the things that, that rest helps us remember? Well, first, I think rest reminds us that the world goes on without us. And here's the thing, and it should. The world should go on without you. A lot of people in here carrying a lot of responsibility. You're doing a lot of great things. You're going to work, you're going to school, you're, you're trying to serve here at church. Uh, you have new endeavors that you're trying to, to set out on. You're trying to make friends. Maybe you're trying to get into serious relationships. You have all these things that feel so important. And again, we said that in our culture, the busier we are, the more important we feel. And at some point, and when we're so busy and we never stop to rest, we begin to think that the world around us would cease to exist and stop running if we weren't in it. We become the center of our own story. We begin to think that we're the ones that are making things happen. We're the ones that are making sure that everything's okay. We're, we're at the center of the story. And oftentimes, here's what happens. Even as Christians, we start to go, God is using me in this way. And that, instead of becoming about God, somehow becomes about us. That God is using me in this way, therefore, I'm very important. And here's the thing, when we stop and rest, it, remember, it reminds us that if you don't do that, God will surely pick another person too. That you, and I love you, and I don't say this to discourage you, I say this to relieve you, you do not have the power to stop God's redemptive plan, and you never, ever will. You do not have that ability. You never have. You never will have that ability. If you drop dead tomorrow, you will be greeted by the love and grace of God because of what he's done, and the world that you leave behind will be continued to be chased and loved by God because that's who he is, and it had absolutely nothing to do with you. It only had to do with how incredibly loving and gracious he is. 
For so many of us, we feel so much pressure. We feel so much anxiety. And here's the thing. When you're stuck in that sort of of self-reliance, two things, one of two things happens to you, if not both. One, you either become arrogant, or two, you either become bitter. Like I said, and there's a possibility you're both. When you're bitter, you look at the people around you and go, you need to be pulling more weight. Because I'm the only one that's doing anything around here, and I need you to pick it up and you to move faster. And then you move about life bitter and hurting the people around you. But if you're arrogant, you look at everybody and go, no, you shouldn't do more because only I can do what I can do. So you don't have the space to do what I do. And then you just walk around hurting people by stifling their potential, by functioning like a gatekeeper to maybe some things that God is calling them into, not just in church, but in their life. Potential that God wants them to walk into, abilities and gifts that God wants them to walk into, and all of it is getting pressed down, all of it is getting stifled because you are sitting there and going, hey, no, only I can do that. I'm very important. And instead, the the idea of resting invites us to to remember something like Colossians 1.17, where it says that he, Jesus, is before all things, by him all things hold together. That literally right now, you and me and all the other important things that you think are so important and that you think only you could help and only you could could make important that, that are all on your shoulders and could never be on anyone else's shoulders. In the background, you take that and then you multiply it by billions of people and all the things that all the people think are so important and all are on them. And in the background, we just know that Jesus is like, I'm sustaining this by my will. I'm in control of all of it. What an incredible relief, right, to remember that without us, the world goes on and it should because we're not the author or the main character of the world. He is. The other thing that it reminds us of is it reminds us that God's love is a gift and not a wage. Resting reminds us that God's love is a gift and not a wage. Like I mentioned before, so many of us are doing so many incredible things. I know you are. I know that you're fighting to do great things in your life. And that's that's a cool part of our culture, to be honest. I got some friends and some homies in other countries, particularly like in the the West, but like in the European West, right? And one of the things they say is like, Americans are different, bro. Y'all cut, y'all built different. Y'all go out there and think that you can conquer the world, right? And they're like, we've we've unconquered the world. And then we got smashed in response to it. So all of us are kind of just like, I'm just going to listen to the king. I'm going to listen to the queen. I'm going to queue in line, right? That's what I'm going to do. And they're like, y'all are like, I don't want no line. I am the line, right? Like, it's, they're like, y'all are built differently. And that's true. And I think that's beautiful. I, I love the fact that in a room like this, with all the different ethnicities and all the different cultural backgrounds represented, that we could share in this idea that we have a boundless sort of potential in front of us, that we can go out and we can make something beautiful. I think that's really, really cool. The only reason that that can sometimes be bad is when we stop and think, look at all the things I've done. Have I earned your love yet? And man, that's disappointing. That's difficult. Because it makes every single one of your actions be the definition of whether you're lovable or whether you're not lovable. And here's the thing, that means that if you ever fail, right, that you might be ashamed to come to God, that you may feel like he doesn't approve of you, that you may feel like he kind of looks at you and is like, I'm kind of disappointed in you right now. Get yourself together, come back to me, and then we can talk about it, right? That's what this ambitious culture kind of creates. The idea that God's love for you is a wage, something you earn through how you perform instead of a gift that he's given completely freely. 
completely free. How much time do I got? Yeah, let's go. And let's go, Josh Allen. I like that. Okay. Um, I got to be honest. I, my kids are two great examples of this. And it, it's weird because I'm, I'm, me and my wife are raising both these kids. We're raising both of them. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that man says you got three. Okay. Chill out, chill out, chill out. Okay. Um, dang. Okay. That was really good, Ian. Uh, I've never felt so ashamed in my life. <laughs> We're raising all three, but I got to be honest, when they're, when, they're, when they're under like about eight months old, the parents know. It's more like, if I'm being honest, it's like under eight months old, Rachel's raising that one, right? Like, Rachel's raising that one. Y'all that have been around us a little bit, y'all know my youngest son doesn't even like me. He legitimately like sits in my lap and he's like, nope, this guy is not for me. Get me away from this man. And then he'll go to like Xana or even Joe Grano and he'll be like, I'm much better here. And I'm like, come on, man. God. Anyway, point being, see, I'm on a tangent now because of you boys. That's because that's of me still. Anyway, we're raising both the older ones. We raise them just the same. Jude has a full understanding that he can scream, yell, be angry, run, he will, he will do everything in his power to get what he wants, and he comes back and just assumes we're going to love him still. It's incredible. I'm not, it's very annoying. <laughs> it's very frustrating at times. But I'm like, that's a great thing about him. Like, I love that in him. I love that he legitimately, my man will be like, you're the worst. I wish you were my dad anymore. And then he just walks away, and he comes back in like 30 seconds. And is like, can I have that thing? And I'm like, all right, bro. What's funny is that Leah raising her the exact same way. If she messes something up, she will desperately try to hide it. She is so scared. She's insecure. She will look at us and be like, I'm really sorry. And she's not insecure. Like in this room right now, if I told her to come up here and to try and entertain you, she would be like, oh, I love this. Right? But in this idea of failure, somehow links to her in a, in a deep and powerful way where for some reason, even though we shower her with, with praise and love and affection, the idea of failure has seeped into her little five-year-old heart. And when she messes something up, she does something and goes, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm really, I didn't mean to do it. And she just feels like she has to make an excuse or else the true reality of the failure will somehow define her differently for us. Raised the exact same way, but it's us sometimes. And I'm not saying that me and my wife don't, we have to respond to that in ways that try and help her. But, but man, like that's how our hearts respond to these realities at times. Right? Rest reminds us that God's love is, is a gift and not a wage. When we don't stop from all that performance, stop from all that action, stop from all that doing, and sit back and go, I'm not going to do absolutely anything that is going to improve my uh, appeal to God for acceptance today, and he is still going to love me. That's powerful. That speaks to your heart more than I think almost anything else will, I promise you. Uh, third, it rest reminds us that we need a Savior and that we already have one. Rest reminds us that we need a Savior and we already have one. With all the amazing things you're doing, sometimes the reality is you cannot keep up. You cannot keep up. And I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I'm not sure if anybody's ever told you this before. That's okay. That's okay. You, you aren't the creator of the world. You aren't the sustainer of the world. 
You're not the redeemer of the world. And for every second that you try to be is a burden that becomes greater and greater and greater and greater. And the reality is at some point you will stop because you will hit a brick wall and that brick wall in big graffiti letters will look back at you and say, you're not enough. And friend, let me tell you, lovingly, we're not. We're not. And again, let me go ahead and tell you again. So I'm not sure if anybody's ever told you, that's okay. You're not meant to overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world. But the, that, that wall that pops us back and says, you need rest, because you're not enough to just keep going like this. You're not going to save the world. You will land flat on your butt before you save the world. When that wall comes, it helps us remember you need a savior. You desperately need a savior. You will not save yourself. You will not save everything around you. You will try and try, and it will slip out of your hands. You will try and forge the future that you think is going to meet your needs. You will try and craft the life you think is going to be everything you ever wanted. And somehow you will get there. And like we talked about in Ecclesiastes, like a vapor in the sky, you will try to grab it, and it will it'll just slip through your fingers. And you'll realize that you are never capable of doing that. You need rest. And that big you need rest sign is saying you need a savior. And here's the thing. When we rest is when we remember that we actually have one. When we rest is when we start to remember, oh, I have a savior. His name is Jesus. He's lived the life I couldn't live. He's died a death in my place. And in his resurrection, he's provided new life. He's provided a, a, a new morality, right? A, a new way of life for me to live in. We talked about this in the very first commandment. Right? We don't remember those things until we stop and actually rest. And so you feeling insufficient, you feeling like you need rest, that's a good thing. Because it's the one thing telling you you need a savior. But when we actually rest is when we start to remember that we actually have one. That's the thing. Because here's the thing, the, the, the other thing. <laughs> when you feel like you need rest and you get reminded that you need a savior but you misuse rest, you don't rest the healthy way, then your heart starts to go out and try to find another savior. You start to go out and try to find something else that will fill the heart. And I'm gonna give you an example, but I want you to know this example is just taken from the realities of the culture that we live in. And I'll, I'll tag team the other side here in a minute. But uh, in 2016, right, where my, my notes here? Uh, during the 2016 presidential elections, here's a great example of this. 2016 presidential elections. A character online rose to prominence known simply as Q. Known simply as Q. And this figure would kind of retort the mainstream media and what the mainstream media was saying and would offer alternative reports and oftentimes would start to stretch the, the idea of reality and, and what we've believed for many decades and start to try and create almost an alternative reality. And that alternative reality would claim that there was a huge war between good and evil, right? And, that, and because that war was being waged and because it felt like the world we lived in was kind of on the back foot, that we desperately needed a savior. We needed someone to come and to make things right because it felt like the evil side was pressing up and the good side was backing down and all arrows pointed toward the savior figure being Donald Trump. And so then it created a whole lot of passion created a whole lot of enthusiasm behind the idea of Donald Trump, right? It was the feeling of, of a community of people, of a demographic saying, I desperately need rest, and then going, I desperately need a savior. 
but not executing on rest to remember we have a Savior that gave room for someone to come in and say, well, I can provide you a Savior. I can give you that. I can provide that for you. And here's the thing. I'm not picking on one side or the other because for the next four years, the other side of the political spectrum went, we're in a fight between good and evil, and that guy is the evil, and now he's pressing on, and we need a good side, so you need to vote liberal. The idea is that that whole political spectrum that goes, that side's bad, and this side is good. You need to vote here, not vote there. You need to vote for a conservative. No, you need to vote for a liberal. It's stepping in to say the story of the world you live in tells you you need a savior, and I'm here to provide you with one. When in reality, rest pulls you back and says, here's your savior. Your savior is bigger than a political party. Your savior is bigger than a political ideology. Your savior is bigger than left, is bigger than right. He's come to overcome the world, and, and he's given himself to darkness in order to create a new world in you. Friend, that's the savior that we rest and remember. And here's the thing, friend. Rest, rest is about God. Rest is for us. Uh, but here's the last point. And you know what? I don't have time to go into this one deeply, but I, I do want to make just short points about it. Um, Rest impacts others. It deeply impacts others. How? Two quick ideas. Just throwing it out there to you real quick. Rest makes relational room. If all you're doing is going, I guarantee you the depths of your relationships is not deep. The main thing they know about you is what you do at work and what you're busy doing. What they don't know about you is you. They know a lot about what you're doing and how you're working and all the busy things you're doing and all the greatness you're trying to achieve. What they don't know is you. The you that is struggling, the you that's succeeding, the you that's doing well, the you that they want to celebrate with, the you that they want to mourn with. Resting provides some relational room for you to get in touch with yourself, maybe get in touch with others and share who you are and share who you actually want to be, like what you're struggling with and whatnot. The other, two, the other thing is, uh, this is just the second one, uh, that rest ensures our impact in the world goes far and not short. Rest ensures that our impact in the world goes far and not short. Here's the thing. A lot of us are running so fast that when you hit that wall, uh, you're, you're, I'm trying to dance around this one a little bit delicately because I know it can be sensitive. Um, my greatest fear for some of you, and for myself as well, is that we will try to go so hard and so fast to try and please a God that we think doesn't necessarily love us just on who we are, that will burn out so deeply and so thoroughly that we stop desiring the love of that God at all. And the things that we wanted to do for him the ways he wanted to impact the world for his sake and for the sake of others become a back seat, maybe a third or fourth seat, maybe a fifth or sixth seat. Maybe they just get ejected from the car in general because we never stop to remind ourselves that his love is a gift and not a wage, that, that the very beginning of resting start with me needing to get away, but me needing to come to him because that's why he's resting in general too, to be with me. Right, that who we long to be and who we want to be in the idea of our Christianity will, I'm not going to belabor the point. I think you get what I'm saying. So I don't need to, to run on that too much, but rest ensures that our impact in the world goes far and not short. 
Now, here's the thing. Uh, Jesus does this perfectly, and we've been talking about that this whole time. Jesus does this absolutely perfectly. He retreats away in his times of rest. He goes and he spends time with the Father. Maybe it's in the morning. That's kind of Jesus' thing. Like really early in the morning, he goes and he gets into like a little cove or something like that. And he, he reads the Bible. He connects with God. That's amazing, right? But, but he connects with God in ways that are, that are thorough, that are deep. And when we think about like the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus goes to the cross, this is an incredible moment because Jesus goes and separates away and then he prays to God. And in that moment, God the Father knows the full depth of who God the Son is. Right? Imagine you being God the Son. Don't just stop trying because it's not going to happen. But that you would look at God and say, is there any way that this cup can pass from me? What an incredible admission. What an incredible feeling. This is God the Son's calling. He came to earth to die. And as he's confronted with it, there is that sense, a very human reality of like, God, this is going to be, this is hard. And instead of running in shame, instead of running in embarrassment, he goes to God the Father and says, is there any way this cup can pass from me? And then he comes back, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And he gets up, and he walks out, and Judas is coming down, down the path. Right? Jesus does this perfectly, this idea of resting. Not just the idea of saying, hey, I want to do nothing, but the idea of saying, hey, I want to actually make space to connect with God, to connect with God the Father, to remind me of who I am, to remind me of who he is, to know that the cup of wrath that's in front of me is not brought about by God's God's injustice, but it's brought about by God's compassion and love. And therefore, not my will be done, but your will be done. So, I mean, I don't want to overextend this because there's a very real theological idea that's happening there. But at the same time, so many of us, God, I mean, God is calling you to things and they're hard. They're difficult. Maybe God wants you to be a little more responsible. Maybe God wants you to give a little bit more. Maybe he's calling you to give a little bit less. Maybe he wants you to stop for a little bit and think about him and, and things around you that may be falling apart because you're pursuing certain things way too much. And in those moments, because we haven't stopped to rest and remember and connect with God, the only things that come from that are insecurities and frustrations that tell you you're going to be not safe, you're, things aren't going to happen the way you want them to happen, all because we don't remember who God is. And yet, every bit of this time, this idea of rest connects back to this, this notion that, man, taking away, stepping away, taking some time for God, right, begins to remind us of who he is. And Jesus does this perfectly. And yet, I got to be honest, I know that we don't. That's exactly why the gospel is so incredible. It's exactly why the gospel is so incredible. Because where we have failed to follow God's calling, because we have not remembered and we have not listened, Jesus perfectly followed the calling into the deepest, darkest mouth of hell and suffering so that you and me could be saved, so that you and me could be forgiven. And in his resurrection, so that we could find and have a perfect and unblockable pathway to continuously find him for rest. Friend, that's what this thing is about. The gospel has brought you back together with the God who brings meaning to everything in your life, including rest itself. 
So that's our goal. I want you to rest. I hope you rest. Why? Because rest is where we, we find connection with God, the God that made us, the God who wants to bring you life, the God who forgives you, the God. Um, let's move on to some application points. I don't want to belittle the point, and I know I'm over time, so let's do this. Um, three application points that are real quick. First one, uh, do something for your soul, not just your pleasure. So when you got a day off, when you're resting, I want you to do something for your soul, not just your pleasure. And so if you're watching TV all day, I understand that. Man, I love me some TV. I love the stories of TV. I'll I be trying to find little themes in TV, and I'd be overanalyzing things and getting nerdy, right? I know that that's fun, but do something for your soul, and be creative here, right? Read a book. Um, go for a walk. Do something that connects you with God, but do it for the sake of your soul, not just the sake of your pleasure, Right, and so do something for the sake of your soul, not just for your pleasure. The other thing is intentionally carve this time out. And here I really want to encourage you to be creative. Because a lot of us, what we think is, well, this verse means that I got to have a day of Sabbath, because that's what it says. Here's the thing. That's not really the case. Not because it's not, I mean, that's not what's in the verse, but because we're not Jewish. Right, we're not Hebrew people. And so the way that we observe this idea of rest isn't tied directly to the rules that the Hebrew or Jewish people had about what the Sabbath looked like. Our commitment to the idea of rest is in the principles that we just went through, right? That we want to connect with God, that we want to remember that we have a Savior, that we want to remember that God's love is a gift and not a wage. And so in this way, you have space to be creative, right? Take a second during the day, during your lunchtime, before you pray for your food, and like spend three minutes actually talking to God. Right, in between meetings, when you're in the car, right, we have this dwell app that we offer to our members. Put that on in the car and listen to scripture, right? If you are going for a walk or whatever, right, pray and ask God to show and remind you of him as you look at the sunset. Be creative here because your soul is looking for something that draws it and brings it back to God. And the thing is, you have the space to creatively give your soul what it needs. So be creative there. The last thing that I want to say, and just genuinely because I think this is helpful and uh, I think we need to just have a reminder, you need to have fun. You need to have fun. If you think my, what I'm saying is that you need to like turn off all the things that you want to do, go into a dark closet, open the Bible, read it in the King James, and then pray, you're going to be like, fam, this sucks. I don't want to do that. And then your soul ain't resting. Your soul's just trying to do a bunch of rules that you think earn you God's approval. Have fun. Like I said, if you like playing music or something like that, then play music, right? Like play music and, and invite God into that space, into that time. I ain't gonna lie. I really like the fantasy world of Lord of the Rings. I have not watched Lord of the Rings this year, but I plan on it. Likewise, I ain't read Lord of the Rings. I, I never read the last one, but I read the first two, and it had been like probably like eight years. So today, or this week, not today, this week, I just decided I was going to get the first Lord of the Rings book and start working through it. I quickly put it down. But the point is, I engaged in something that was fun. I likewise started reading The Hobbit with my kids, and Leah has been weirdly obsessed with it. And so, like, have fun. Do something that brings you life. And in there, search for the truth of who God is and what he's done for you. 
If you think that there is some weird wall between the rest of your life and reading the Bible, then it will be a sad experience following Jesus because everything that he's doing in your life that takes place outside of reading the Bible and praying in a closet will be missed and will be lost. And you will just, and that's the crazy thing is because of his grace, you'll still get up to, to, the, to the pearly gates, quote unquote, and just be embraced by God. But nonetheless, it will take away from the, the experience of being his son and his daughter today. That while you're in the car, while you're eating food, every bit of your life, because of what Jesus has done, is marked by God's grace and his love and his care. And you are invited to have and experience that every single moment. That's the invitation. So have fun and find the beauty of God's care and affection while you're having fun. I got to go. I talked way about 15 minutes longer than I thought I was. So, uh, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Uh, thank you, God, for rest. Thank you, God, that I don't, I don't pretend to know and be good at rest. I'm not. But I look at these ideas, and I feel compelled. I feel drawn to the idea of remembering who you are. When in my life, I know so many moments that I forget. That I forget who you are. And the burdens of my heart chase after me and tell me that, that I'm not lovable. Chase, tell me that I'm not having done enough. Tell me that I need to earn something more. Tell me that draw me away from you and toward this idea of self-reliance and yet you invite me to stop and get away from all those voices to return to you and to be washed over by your grace and by your love thank you father thank you thank you what an incredible gift i have that when i stop everything i'm doing your love for me doesn't cease and it doesn't stop but in fact that's when it makes the most sense thank you Help me and help every single person in here, no matter our phase of life, no matter where we're coming from, no matter how busy we are, to take the steps to stop, to intentionally carve out this time, to make it happen, to be creative, and in it to have fun and experience you, and to do something that gives life to a soul that is sometimes wary in the midst of an of a idolatrous world. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to experience this kind of rest in our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.